Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty well. I got some nice reach outs from people after uh, the last episode came out. Oh, good. People a little, little, little concerned. Yeah, making sure I was okay, which, which I really appreciate. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's nice to be reminded that people are listening and people I know care about me, and that was, it was. I really appreciated those folks doing that. So thanks, thanks to those of you who asked. That's nice. And I should ask you, how are you doing this week? Yeah, uh, better definitely. Was definitely at, at a bit of a low point before, but have been trending up since then. That's good to hear. Yeah, thank you. And the, with the week delay, it's kind of funny because it came out and people were like messaging me and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a week ago. I'm fine now. It's old news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. So oh, funny. Uh, the good news is it was fairly short, short lived. That's good. Um, it was people that I wouldn't nef- have necessarily assumed were in my support network. Exactly. Or like people I didn't even know were listening or caring or whatever. And then like they're reaching out. It's like, oh, well, that's awesome that this person did that. And just made me feel uh, more connected, more close to those folks. That was great. Yeah, that's great. We have, um, yeah, several thousand people that tune into this show. And uh, it's crazy how I, th- I probably don't know who most of them are, a majority. So pretty sure you don't. Right. Yeah. You know, so we get like 6,000 or something like downloads for episode. It would be, it'd be interesting to stand in front of a crowd of 6,000 people and be like, oh, that's okay. That's how many people are listening to this. I know. I know. It's weird. But that's that's the beauty of podcasting, I guess. It just it kind of just feels like you and me. Mostly, I'm definitely in podcast mode, but I don't feel the same thing I would feel on on stage. Right. Yep. Oh, trust me, I I, I know that from the first time I gave an attendee talk at <laughs> Microconf, it was like, oh, this is not podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice thing about it. Your audience could double, and it doesn't change how it would feel to record it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've been doing it long enough and I've been able to get out of my head about it and I just like just kind of ignore the fact that there are thousands of people <laughs> who are listening <laughs> and just just do it. Yeah, me too mostly. I wish we could go even a little bit further. Like I recorded a podcast last week and we had a conversation and it, this was actually a private podcast, so there're only a handful of listeners. And then like after the podcast ended, we had like a, a, an even better conversation and we talked about even other things. I was like this is so it's like man, if we can't open up on like a podcast that has like a dozen listeners, Mm-hmm. it's like it's yeah it's just as tough but we try to be as open as we can here and yeah there are certain things that i just that would be cool if we could talk about but it just wouldn't be a good business decision or it would be you know it just strategically would be a bad thing but um yeah or would, like violate people's privacy or you know All right. right too sensitive or too speculative yep yeah yep so uh mikey is getting awfully close to putting us in like a real like three player mode for tuple it's been a long time coming there's been quite a lot of uh refactoring in preparation for this day uh, but because of all that like the restrictions and the specialness of a given peer in a call uh, are falling away quickly so it, like used to be the case that like the host the first like the person sharing their screen was very special in the code and you know, there was, you know, the host and then there was the guest and then the observer and they all had different code paths and rules and things. And now it's really kind of just like an undifferentiated collection of participants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, so it only took, you know, three years or so. Right. The question about this, like now looking back to how you originally architected it and where it's end up, like, do you are you surprised that it ended up this way? Or are you like, no, I kind of expected that would happen. But we, for the sake of simplicity, architected it so that a host was special and an observer was special. When we first made those decisions, we were so new at this. We were just, I think, trying not to drown in the complexity of it. 
And so basically anything that worked was like, okay, ship that. And like the observer mode was like a bolt-on that I was like, Spencer, we, we got we, we have to support three people. And he was like, okay, I hate you, but is it okay if it's super hacky? And I was like, yes. And so we just kind of did the hackiest thing that got it over the, over the line technically and, you know, moved on. And yeah, I guess we could have, you know, taken the time to figure... I don't even know that we could have done it a more clever way back then, really, because we just sort of didn't know. But since then, like Spencer has leveled himself up so much and we added Mikey to the team who has his own set of knowledge. And so uh, now we know how to do it at a different level. So it might have been cool if we could have could have avoided that pain, but who knows? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure that would have been possible. Yeah, those types of like fundamental shifts in like the model are, are always interesting to me in in apps. And like it's cool that you've been able to like you aren't so bound by legacy on this decision that like it was kind of impossible to change. This was one that was possible to change, which is which is good because <laughs> sometimes you do end up backed into a corner so much that it's like like I think about user list, for example, just launched like a company's feature, you know, in like which is sort of a big fundamental data model change uh, user list as email automation for for SaaS companies and so you can have like subscribers and or users contacts whatever you call them in their database and then they can be attached to companies and like that was something that we had toyed around with at drip for a little while like this would be cool to do to add this extra layer so that you could say like this messaging goes to the owner of an account at this company and other people who belong to this company receive these types of emails and their specific roles but like we determined it was like it was probably too heavy of a lift to try to back into the drip data model like five years into it. So big shifts are hard, <laughs> can be hard. They kind of get harder typically over time because you build more things on the, the assumptions and there's more and more systems screaming along, doing tons of things per second and changing them becomes harder. I was talking to uh, the team about this and normally we ship on, like a, on a given cadence. So we like we try to do like a release every month and we use that time box to force us to cut scope and to to ship stuff and for this i actually said recommended that we flip that and set the scope and flex the time which can be a recipe for you know disastrous project overruns some of the time Uh, but in this case i think it's the right call because it's like we're we're very close to like just being like okay it just works with like three independent people now and all those caveats are gone and it's it's clean and understandable. And I'd rather just kind of have that big bang thing go out the door done uh, than have it happen, you know, this week versus two or three weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes trying to put a bow on something before it's actually finished, like to cut scope and then like put in an invest work into something just to ship it by a certain time only to then later unravel that stuff and, and quote unquote finish it the right way is like, yeah, that's like a judgment call where it's like, oh, maybe it's not worth the extra like couple of days to like cut this off early if we can just push it over the finish line and and let our our deadline flex a little bit. Um, totally. Yeah. yeah. And this one has like a lot of deep surgery in the app. So it warrants a good amount of testing. Like we're going to throw it on staging and use it internally for a while and uh, give QA a bunch of time with it because it's, yeah, a lot of possibility for breakage here. So it's even more reason, I think, to kind of let it fully bake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's big enough. You can't just like exactly throw it behind a feature flag and ship it to everyone, right? Or uh, or can you? 
No, I don't. Think so. <laughs> it's like enough of the guts have changed. Can't you don't have both code paths yeah. still in there? Yeah. yeah. Maybe if from the beginning we just said we wanted to do that, that, that could have been possible. But I think it's too much. I'm not. I don't think that would have been the the call here. But yeah, so that, I I feel good about that approach. At least for now, we'll see. <laughs> it, it it hasn't dragged on for extra, a lot of extra weeks, so we'll see how I feel about that if it if it doesn't. But so far, things are moving faster than we expected. And I think it's because of all that preparation that we've done over the, the previous months. It's interesting to think of like the different phases of Tuple's life where like there's kind of always like a thing that everyone's asking for. And so it's like everyone asks for these restrictions to, to be removed and we're going to ship it. And then there'll just be other things that everyone's asking for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time we and like, like people are like, please make a Linux client. And we're like, okay, now we're, we're making it. And we have a landing page. You just need to drop your email. So now those requests have kind of gone away. But now it's like, please make a Windows client. Please change this. Please do. It's like, I think. And that's, that's, it's fine. It's great. Actually, I like it. I like having a clear goal and a thing that a lot of customers want. That's, that's actually good to me. Uh, but it, it's funny that like, We'll never be done, basically. Will you people never be satisfied? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I experienced something similar when I did a launch this week. And uh, I hand emailed like a bunch of people who are on my notify lists. Like I keep these lists on the ticket. Basically, anytime anyone requests something, I can tell them like, I will be sure to ping you directly when this is ready. And then I drop their, their a link to the ticket on there. And so I went through and did like 30 of these. And a number of them did come back with like, this is so awesome. Now, how about this, 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 and this? And it was like, <laughs> or when's iCloud coming? Or, you know, it's like, ah, uh, for like two seconds of joy about the, the enormous uh, <laughs> feature that just launched. And then it's like on to the next request, which is good. Yeah, it's a good thing overall. Yeah, I know I've mentioned this quote, but I just love it. Where like Bezos was saying, like, you can be competitor focused, or you can be customer focused. And the problem with being competitor focused is that if you become the leader in something, then what do you do now? Whereas customers are always gloriously unsatisfied. Yes. Yeah, that's a good quote. They always yeah. want a next thing. They're always unhappy because they want this to be better, faster, cheaper, whatever. And I, I, I really appreciate that attitude. Here's to unsatisfied customers. May they always push us to make better software. <laughs> yep. Yep. Keep us sharp. Yeah. Uh, another thing to announce, which is that we're running another cohort of the Code Quality Challenge. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to start May 3rd. And because Dorothy is on top of her game, she has told me to announce this here before we close signups. Yeah, last time I failed to use my podcast audience, which was dumb. So anyway, <laughs> if you want to do the Code Quality Challenge uh, and people people really like it. I think it's actually really good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so if you want to spend May uh, doing little bits of doing short tasks to improve your code base every day, and doing it with a bunch of other people who are similarly motivated and enjoying themselves and posting on the forum, uh, you should check it out. And we can link to that in the show notes or codequalitychallenge.com. A bunch of ways to find this. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to like measure the ROI of running the Code Quality Challenge for, for the Tuple business? Or is it hard to like kind of correlate those two? Super hard to correlate. But when we do things like run them, we get a lot of trials. And it's like, probably related. Can't prove it. Don't do enough, a good enough job tracking attribution currently to directly tie things. But it's like, you know, get a lot of traffic, get a lot of signups, get a lot of emails, get people on our domain doing stuff. It just feels like it has to be uh, good. Mm -hmm. It's doing marketing. It's good. It's, yeah, it's doing marketing. It's hard to know who, as things wind through the bowels of the internet and people's brains and, and private slacks and all this stuff, like how did, 
how did X lead to Y? But, you know, I have faith that those things are, are connected, if at least loosely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. A lot of the best, I think a lot of the best, like, marketing activities are very difficult to do actual attribution on, which is frustrating, but, like, that is, that's kind of the nature of it. Like, unless you're doing something very transactional where it's like, I'm showing a Facebook ad, and when someone clicks this ad, then I'm tracking everything you do after that point. Like, maybe you can get some, some good calculations on that kind of thing, but everything else is just sort of like, if it's like brand building-ish or like uh, you're just providing value to people and then they virtuously end up coming back into the pipeline at some point, it's like, that's very difficult to quantify. Um, totally, totally. Yeah. Speaking of things like that, I think I want to run a giveaway. I, I post on Twitter, like, what's a cool tech thing that you would buy if it weren't so expensive to, like, kind of farm for ideas? Mm-hmm. And, and the monitor con- stand? <laughs> well, <laughs> almost. So a pretty consistent theme was actually, like, oh, like a 55-inch widescreen monitor. That came up a few times. We recently shipped a feature that lets you share only part of your screen. Oh, yeah. That's good. Right? Yeah. That's a so good it's like, mm-hmm. now that we could support this, we'd like to give these things away. So I think that just pairs too nicely to not to not try it. I haven't taught this over with anyone, but I'd like to try this. What are your first thoughts? Oh, this is gonna so like you're you're running giveaway, and like the idea is to gather an email list from this. Like that's the is that the end result, or well, like what's the? That's an open question to me, actually. Yeah. Like I think there's a couple interesting ways we could go. So one is just like yeah, drop your email here. We'll do a drawing, and some somebody gets this. We just think of this as like, it's brand marketing, kind of. It's maybe you hear about us, maybe you click through and read about the app or something. Maybe we give away some tuple to people that don't win, but come in, you know, later places or something. Another thing is, maybe we give it away to people that do calls in a given month. Like, like maybe it's like every, every call you do in May counts as an entry. So you have a way of kind of like juicing your, or every person you invite or... You know, all, all teams that sign up in May and do a trial will be entered or something. Just like kind of more directly incentivize the thing we want. Mm-hmm. I like that because like I've seen these done over the years. And if you have like a really strong like email marketing play going on or like a, a content funnel, then it like makes sense to kind of put people into that flow. And then like eventually they make their way in, you know, the different stages of the funnel. But like, so you guys aren't doing a ton of like content production or email marketing at this point. Like it seems like it makes sense to incentivize people. Like, you know, if you, I'm doing content production right now, Derek. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is, this is the content. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. So, so like you force them to force them to listen to the podcast when they, in order to, uh, <laughs> to force get them. entered. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the password is the thousandth word said on the latest product. <laughs> right. right. Yep. To like basically enter someone as soon as they like, you know, come in through through the tuple sign up form and do at least one call or something like that. Seems like it would make sense. Uh, something like that. Yeah. We, um, so we do have like this big email list of people that have tried tuple but drifted away. You know, like canceled or never signed up or whatever. So we do have these like many thousands of emails through our various that we've gotten through various places. I like the idea that if we did something like every call as an entry, it's like that works for our current customers and people that want to sign up and become customers. That seems kind of like a nice attribute of it is that it kind of works for everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit here and just start a call every minute. 
Totally. She, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Write a I script. You wonder how <laughs> crazy someone would go. How enterprising are your uh, <laughs> your users? I don't know. It depends how wide that monitor is, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. You might have to like you know look for fraud and throw yes. out the uh, yeah the outliers. I don't know. Yeah. Put a rate limit on it or something. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Fine print. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Terms and conditions apply. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that was an idea I had last night that I would like to try. And uh, yeah, other than that, not a, not a ton going on over on my side. Curious, what's what's up with you? Yeah. So I um, I think I talked about this last week, planning to do this, and I I did ultimately uh, launch, like officially announce the Outlook integration. It has been soft launched for a couple of weeks and I've been watching like as people kind of randomly stumble across it or just, you know, hook up their accounts like to see if any errors have come through and so far, so far so good. I noticed like one of my largest customers um, in like checking over things right before hitting the, the, the official like send button on this, like just double checking to make sure like stuff's good and, and noticed one of my largest customers that part of their use case is like hooking up a, a lot of different calendars and kind of kind of operating under different company domains as like a, an extension of people's teams. And I noticed they like a bunch of people had hooked up a bunch of Outlook calendars over the last couple of weeks and it was just everything was just working. So I was like, nice. OK, that's great. That's good. Nice. Congrats, um, man. Yeah. So so I sent sent the email out and I haven't heard like a ton a ton back from people, but definitely a, a nice spike in in trials and signups. And so we'll kind of just, we'll kind of see how this reverberates over time and I'll look for opportunities to, to um, kind of leverage the fact that we now, now integrate with Outlook. So feels really, really good to get this like fully shipped. Like in, it's funny that the instant, like almost physical feeling of weight off your shoulders when you like, when you officially get a big thing that's taken a month, <laughs> uh, you know, officially live into the world and like clears up a lot of mental headspace. So as soon as I did that, like, you know, shipping days always feel good. And then I like started tackling a bunch of like smaller things that had just kind of been sitting in the backlog for a while that I've resisted. Like I've wanted to pull aside and work on those, but I've like tried to stay really focused on, on keeping the bigger initiatives going. So now it's like, okay, now that this is kind of unblocking my, my path, I can like, take a couple of days and and knock off a bunch of smaller tickets which is i think is going to make people happy and it's going to feel people biased towards like seeing um you know it feels like there's momentum when you're like shipping a bunch of things like it's just kind of by nature of it even though they're relatively small features like it's gonna i think it's gonna kind of reinvigorate that kind of feeling of momentum too so that's awesome that impression i feel like is so critical for retention and customer signups and all those like just startup health in the early days because there there always is like i mean typically like so much missing or like you know, rough edges or or something but i feel like people are willing to work with you if they see that you ship fast like that that definitely i feel like factors into people's decision to stay or go yeah totally i think so and like it's tricky because when you <laughs> i've been feeling this a lot lately doing a lot of circling back on features that I launched in sort of an MVP state and now it's like time to make them a little bit more robust and a little like just improve some of the the final 20% of the scope that got cut you know but it's sometimes hard to like get credit for that work with your with your customer base and so it's sort of like last month was was Outlook 
and doing a bunch of those things where it's like not really noteworthy enough to like add a changelog entry for them for a lot of these things is just like eh, it's just kind of making the feature fully fully baked i guess and it didn't feel like it was really appropriate to like to log that as like a new or even an improvement, you know, which is a little bit frustrating. It's like I spent a bunch of time on this stuff, but yet it's not really a marketable feature. But that's just kind of the nature of of like, um, you know, doing your doing your diligence on like truly circling back on things that's like finishing the, the final bit of scope that got cut. So that feels um, worth talking about anyway, even if it's only kind of as a bolded yeah. list at the bottom of the big feature announcement. Yeah, that's probably true. Like maybe not a full a full changelog entry for it, but like a here's some housekeeping we've been doing or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that. I definitely have experienced this personally. I'm taking back what I said I think like I think it's not even just true for startups. I think it's just true for products where it's like when you feel that the team consistently is shipping and adding things and responding to feedback, it's it makes you feel great about it and like even if you're even when I'm dissatisfied, it's like, well, they're good at fixing stuff and I, I kind of can trust or I have, you know, I have some hope they're going to come along and do this versus things I've used even that were pretty good. But once they start to feel stagnant or like unloved, it really affects my opinion of it and whether I'm willing to tolerate, you know, the, the, the few problems it has. Right. Yep. No, totally. I can totally uh, empathize with that. Yeah. Plus, I'm always gloriously unsatisfied. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that I need to like tape that quote up somewhere that's really good yeah i should find the exact uh, thing yeah. for, for you yeah it's, it's yeah. quality i think it's from one of the shareholder letters i believe mm-hmm. classic yeah. yeah so kind of along the along the lines of those smaller things i also shipped like the ability to give a scheduling link a private name um this one had come up a bunch like people basically have like a bunch of links variations of links that have kind of the same title on them you know same user facing title but like maybe one has expanded availability and they want to call it like their vip chat or like important people only or whatever and it's like you don't want you don't want that to be the title on the link but that was what we used in both places you know in the list and on the actual link itself so this is one of those like uh, kind of organizational things and it was a very small feature to ship but i think it's going to have potentially a big impact on the way people organize their accounts things like the ability to add like add a phone number field so like say this this call is going to happen via phone and either i'll initiate or the scheduler will initiate that one's been kind of on the list for a really long time and there's a bunch of people waiting for it so i'm just going to knock that one out today probably custom description text on invites that get sent out on the calendar invite that kind of stuff so yeah knock out a bunch of these and and hopefully delight some customers love it that's awesome. So you said you saw a spike of trials and signups with the Outlook thing. Yeah. I guess it's only been a few days. You kind of don't have enough data really to know what the impact is going to be. Yeah. TBD. Well, should be able to report back within about a week or so. Seven yeah. day trials. Hopefully you have a new, like a higher steady state than before, right? Because mm-hmm. you just, are, right. just, there's just more people that potentially work for this now. Yes. Yep. That is, that is the hope. I've also been seeing a bump in number of people overlaying their calendars too i had to redesign that flow just a little bit to accommodate like before it was kind of geared towards like authorize your google calendar and now it's like overlay your calendar and here are two different buttons you can click to do that and so during that i kind of freshened up the design on that modal a little bit and i actually did another (laughs) made another improvement talk speaking to like going back and and filling in gaps of the scope that got cut 
prior, like if you had an embedded link on your site before, like we had this issue where you couldn't OAuth a Google or Microsoft account because you're not allowed to do that inside of an iframe, but you can do it in a pop-up that's initiated from an iframe. And so <laughs> it's weird, you know, content security rules. Um, so like I had just that got cut from the scope. And so that, that toggle used to be hidden on embedded links on people's sites. And now like as part of this, I officially like dug in and, and figured out how to like get the pop-up communication to work properly. So we like detect if it's embedded, then we, then we kick off the auth flow for your, for your account in a separate window. So it just works. So that might be helping too. Maybe something about this, the, the modal looks slightly more credible or something, but I'll have to dig into that a little bit and see why, uh, you know, form some yeah. hypotheses around why that's happening more. But is that a key metric for you? Like people overlaying their calendar? Do you do you care about that a lot? I guess it's like a good entry point to your funnel, right? Yeah, it is something that I care about. But again, like if I just look at people who signed up through clicking the overlay toggle and became customers, that number is very low. Like my direct attribution for that, I should be tracking. Like, have they ever? toggled that and then later come back and signed up through a different avenue like 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 building up that model of like you know, how did they hear about us again is is really tricky and so i think that'll come more through qualitative like questions in onboarding as opposed to like being able to actually track the metric directly do you have a metric that you are most interested in moving right now two things probably one is like just trials coming through the door trial volume you know the other one is churn. I'm concerned about churn. So if you can move the needle on churn, that that's like better than trying to get new people into the door is like, how can we keep people from, <laughs> from churning out or activating? So I think it's like, and it, as I dig into like where the churn's happening, it's mostly people who have just failed to even get started using the product. So they're either kind of a bad fit and they they signed up to check it out but they don't really need a scheduling tool in which case maybe they just would, never would have become a customer but i'm guessing that there's a percentage of those who like perceived that maybe it was going to be too much of a hassle to do it and i'll just do it later and so like how can i kind of shepherd these people into pushing themselves over the finish line to actually like no just all all you have to do is configure these few things activate your link and now you can start using it and i think pushing people into that like the the kind of uh, minimum path to awesome, <laughs> you know, track. Um, yeah. So when you say churn, are you, you're seeing people churn before they enter a credit card, right? They're like, oh, is that true? No, it's a churn from people who basically started a trial, put their credit card on file and, and then within the first month, like canceled before their next renewal. Gotcha. And mo- and a lot of those people never got going. Right. Yep. Yeah, that makes yep. sense. That's, that sounds like the eternal plague of SaaS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people that do sign up, are you seeing like good like retention for people past that that period? Yeah, I think my I should have those numbers actually at the top of mind, but like the post first month churn rate is definitely much lower. Yeah. That's that's an interesting thing to look at, like the cohort retention. Like Stripe has that, I imagine ProfitWell has this parametric says too. Everybody does it now, which is great. Which is like, okay, yeah, you lose x percent in the first month but then what does month two three four five six look like is it still dropping by huge chunks each month or do you kind of get the churn out of the way and then your the curve is flattening right yep that to me is the interesting bit like yes clearly go after that you know 
that big drop in the beginning for sure. I feel like the whole like, did you did you kind of nail product market fit? Like, are, is there a core group of customers that are like, yeah, this is it. This is what I want. It works for me. Happy customer is kind of the more existential question almost. Right, right. I've definitely gotten away from this idea of like caring about aggregate churn as a metric. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it just way, doesn't. It's too yeah. coarse grained. It doesn't way too coarse. Yeah, yeah. It's just too simple a metric to actually give you that much info. Yep. So yeah, when I I basically have only looked at like cohort churn these days to care about that, and and often like cohort revenue churn for us because we care a lot about are we expanding the revenue on these cohorts as they go on. That'll be interesting yeah. to see. Yep. Yep. Totally. And so, like, speaking of that, too, like, I'm excited about, so kind of the next big initiatives are kind of team functionality, <laughs> because there's, you know, <laughs> incentive to to invite more people from your team and seat-based pricing, it kind of naturally aligns with expansion revenue. So that's kind of, that's kind of next on the docket. And, and also, like, kind of in tandem with, with that, I'm going to be beginning work on building out some basic API functionality, too. And that will allow me to build a truly native Zapier integration, which will be which will be really nice to to officially have. Right now, you can you can definitely integrate with Zapier, but you just have to use the webhook like Zap thing, which is a slightly clunkier to to configure than than an official integration. So that that'll be good. And then I have a number of like kind of industry partners that I've been kind of um, chatting with over the last couple of months about building some some nice like native integrations into their platforms and i think that'll be a good like co-marketing opportunity and also just you know delivering like nice native (laughs) integration experiences to to customers too um which i feel like is always better than kind of giving them a roll of duct tape (laughs) with zapier and just say like go figure it out yourself you know Mm -hmm. um so cool I like that the API will enable the Zapier thing, which is nice. Like you, you have a first consumer in mind already, which I think is is great for if you're going to go build an API. Yep, totally. Yeah, yeah. Is there a top thing that people are asking for now that now that Outlook is in? I don't think we have quite the same like uniform consensus that maybe you guys experience. You know, it's sort of a long tail of things. There are definitely big ones. Like there's a good chunk of people who like can't use the product until we have support for payment collection, for example, like being able to like use it for lightweight consulting engagements. And so that one comes up quite a bit, but I still think like that's maybe, I don't know, 20% of, of potential customers need that. And so then this, the other 80% don't have that, don't need that at all, but maybe there's something out like a bunch of people are still asked now the question is like well when are you going to have iCloud calendar integration because I think a lot of people use that for their personal like they use Google or Microsoft at work and they use you know iCloud by nature of just their the the calendar app on their phone for their personal events and they want to take those into account at work so that's you know that's another big one there's definitely multiples of these and so I'm feeling like it's kind of time to take take a step back and like really reassess the roadmap and kind of get get some of those bigger initiatives prioritized in my head at least um, kind of on loosely on a in a kind of bulleted dock you know so that I can kind of get a sense for like how much of these smaller things should I focus on what are the next big initiatives um, yeah we we sent a roadmap survey out recently and asked people to kind of rank their choices uh, from a list like like top three like and that was really useful 
that might be a, an interesting thing to try. You have a pretty like heterogeneous user base, so it might be harder to find consensus than usual, or like it might be might be more worth kind of digging into it a bit and getting people to weigh in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, we're kind of still decently broadly positioned, which I think is is not a bad thing because that's that's who we're competing with is Calendly, <laughs> and we're and I think we're chipping off customers from a bunch of different segments. You know, so it's not a it's not a super uniform use case. It's not like we just have founders of companies like there's there's a bunch of different kind of types of user in the product right now so but that does make it tricky to like figure out you know what does what do most people need i was thinking earlier like you you solo build a product that is generating six figures of revenue a year that's pretty that's kind of amazing like on you and also just like the world like there's now like enough leverage that like a solo person can create enough value with software to get that much revenue that's just yeah. that's awesome I know it blows my mind. It's just it's ones and zeros on a on a computer somewhere in the cloud. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. There are like solo founder businesses that are making like seven figures of revenue. You could see how as this leverage increases and the tools get better, like someone's going to do eight figures a year by themselves at some point. And it's like like someone said, like he was Austin from Lambda said Lambda School was like if the Flappy Bird guy hadn't taken his app down he might have been the first like like billion dollar valuation solo app developer yeah i know it's, it's, it's insane it's, it could happen it could it probably will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so if you don't like income inequality i have bad <laughs> news about technology <laughs> right yeah no it, i mean it almost feels like cheating sometimes when you look at like the <laughs> just all the other hurdles that basically every other type of business has to go through in order to grow like to have capital assets and like have to invest in inventory and all these no, things that we no. just get to it's, it's avoid completely. Crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah. I have friends in e-commerce that have e-commerce businesses and I'm like, wow, they live in a very different world. Like, yeah, we got to go build a 10,000 square foot warehouse over here to hold all of the inventory that we have to pay mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. Okay. Just sort of like technology in the early days, like when Gail Goodman gave her constant contact talk and was like, well, yeah, we first had to invest, you know, $5 million into our data center just to have the computers on which to put the thing. And then we had to deploy a sales team to go out and like pound pavement with small business owners. It's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. It's pretty absurd how much easier and lighter that has gotten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People keep pushing it up the, the stack, right? Like you can grab like a uh, kind of like a, a SaaS in a box kind of option too now where it's like, okay, yeah, the, the core, you know, 70% of the SaaS stuff is now already coded for you. So just start start working on your specific thing. It's just getting shorter and shorter that path to something valuable. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Right. I know the commercial products available, the open source libraries that we all rely on heavily. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty insane. <laughs> totally. Yeah. All right. I want to wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it. Notes the show. Notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Goodbye.